May God's word be truly glowing this morning as we turn to the pages of scripture, precisely Romans chapter 16. We're going to look at the first 16 verses and mine it for some riches. You know, I'm reminded, though we've been in the book of Romans for over a year now, uh, that pales into insignificance next to the 20 years uh, that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones took to go through verse-by-verse exposition. So uh, if you're ever tempted to think uh, that we take long time going through a single book, then just uh, imagine 20 years through Romans. Praise God, it's a wonderful study. It's a wonderful book, and we couldn't possibly mine it for all its riches uh, in the time we've spent. But I hope that you've caught the bug. I hope that you've been encouraged by what we've been looking at, what Paul has been saying to the church. Uh, We've been looking at the servant people of God most recently. And today's sermon is entitled, The Servant People's Purposeful Diversity. The Servant People's Purposeful Diversity. We hear the word diversity a lot, don't we, uh, in our culture it's it's used as kind of one of those buzzwords, you know, a political correct word, politically correct word, that we want to see more diversity. We want to see more quotas of people from different ethnicities in different parts of government, in different parts of, in different companies. Yeah, absolutely. We want to see uh, uh, people uh, rewarded for, for their uh, knowledge and their gifts and their merit. We want to see nobody excluded because of their background, right? Diversity is a good thing, especially when you look at the church, because God is the one who's building his church. He's the one who's bringing uh, all of you and all of us together, right? And he's not just doing it haphazardly. He's not just casting the dice and seeing what happens. He's purposely bringing each one of us here from our various backgrounds because he has a purpose for you here and now. That's what we're considering this morning as we reflect on these verses. We've been through chapters of challenge. Not only challenges to those in the first century, uh, those readers or hearers of Paul's uh, letter, uh, but also to every year. Uh, Because as long as this age continues, until the return of our Lord, sinful ears need to hear the challenge of God's truth. Right? It doesn't do to sanitize God's word and pretend as if sin is okay. As so many churches sadly do today. We need to face the challenge of what God's word says in its fullness. And, And... Paul doesn't hold back in those opening chapters. He says, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you cannot earn your salvation. You are hopelessly lost before holy God in your sin. What you need is righteousness from heaven to be revealed in the face of Christ, your Saviour. And he needs to become your Saviour. God redeems with a mighty hand people from among many nations to become living witnesses to his glory all the way from here to eternity. 
We've heard Paul's reasoning why all people, Jews and Gentiles, need to receive that righteousness. Righteousness that God freely and gladly and mercifully pours into our hearts by grace, setting us free from the bondage to sin in order to live new lives for him. And in these last several chapters we've been looking at, Paul expounds marvellously on the reality of that new life, how unbelievable and unbreakable it is that nothing in this world or the world beyond can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We know full redemption and delight in the presence of our Saviour and our Lord. Everyone who comes to Christ finds value and purpose. And all the mysteries of life find context and explanation if we are willing to explore them and to trust the sovereignty of God. Did you hear what I said? I said all the mysteries of life find context and explanation if we are willing to explore them and trust the sovereignty of God. That sounds like a nice easy formula, doesn't it? But what a, what a battle it is. What a struggle it is as we go through life. So if you find yourself on the ropes, if you find yourself struggling, take courage from the witness that we see in Scripture, from the careful pastoring of our brother Paul. Because in Christ we can find fullness of joy. In Christ we can be free from restlessness. I hope that this morning you're free from restlessness. Do you get quality sleep these days? You'd be forgiven if you didn't, with all the anxiety and woes going on in the world, with the challenges that many of you are facing. But we can be free from our restlessness. We can know peace in Christ. He is our all in all. He is our delight and our reward. And yet we journey on, knowing that we will receive more once our journey through this life is complete. This is why Paul was so free to set out on his bold missions, not unaware of the challenges he would face, but absolutely secure in his trust in Christ. And our brother was not alone. Though he had to reach Rome, he knew so many of the church there already, as we'll see because they themselves were travellers for Christ. They themselves were missionaries following the Saviour. And it's here in this first section of the final chapter that Paul's, Paul writes of them uh, warmly, affectionately, expressing the unique fraternity found in the fellowship of the believers. As we learn about these, some of these precious brothers and sisters, let us think of those who have enriched our lives in the faith once delivered to the saints. Take a moment before I read God's word just to think of fellow saints who've led you, encouraged you, fed you, prayed for you, showed kindness to you over the years. Romans chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. 
I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Centrae. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They wish their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, with Olympus and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. May God bless his word to us and encourage us through it this morning. Uh, if you're taking notes, then uh, I've got three points, three C's this morning. Uh, and uh, I'll note them as follows. Commendations conversions and kisses all right that's not a c that last one but it sounds like one all right commendations conversions and kisses people are going to be waiting for that third point i think firstly commendations well here in our church uh, we occasionally get the opportunity to recognize and thank those who have contributed faithfully and consistently to the life of the fellowship uh, in service as officers those who have funded particular projects uh, or who have continually labored behind the scenes visiting the sick giving through acts of kindness again and again it's our pleasure to do so when we do and also to reciprocate with other uh, other expressions of affection to make sure that our brothers and sisters know how loved they are and that their sacrifices have been worthwhile and precious to us. This is the sense you get, isn't it, from Paul as he writes to the church at Rome. This is the kind of affection that he has for them. They are a real living and breathing church. They are a network of believers spanning the eastern Mediterranean. And he goes to great lengths not to leave anyone out as he writes. 
Elsewhere in his writings, Paul mentions when he might forget someone. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when he mentions those he's baptised. But here, no such caveat is given. His personal greetings, there are not a simple list given to drop names or go through the motions. The love that he has for these individuals, those whom he has come to know during the course of his missionary activities in the various churches across the eastern Mediterranean. His love is palpable. It has all the hallmarks of authenticity here. And so it's unsurprising that Paul wants to visit this church because he already knows so many of them. And he wants to know yet more of them. He wants to encourage them in their faith and in their pursuit of God's kingdom. Not only does this demonstrate Paul's particular effectiveness as a pastor and as a church planter, but it also gives us a flavour of the interactions and relationships in general among the people of the first century church. One of the great things about the annual mission day that some of us enjoyed yesterday and the association day earlier this month is the interrelatedness of the gathering. Now don't get me wrong, okay? If one day you hear Pastor Ben's invitation and his uh, encouragement to come and join, you won't immediately on your first visit to these gatherings be well connected you may recognize a face or two from visiting speakers or, or others. But over time, through involvement with these and other meetings, missionary visits, camps, district activities, celebrations at other churches, I mean, we've invited our East District brothers and sisters to come and join us for our anniversary in a few weeks. Through all these things, in the life of the wider church, we share in the sense of togetherness and brotherhood that is clearly on display here in these verses, as Paul writes to the church at Rome. The overriding sense is one of deep affection, of a desire for greater connectedness and fulfilment. And this is why Paul commends those worthy of such commendations. You get the feeling, don't you, that every believer is worthy of commendation because they each have giftings and ministries in operation. It's a source of great joy and immense pride that so many of you are involved in serving Christ and each other in various ways here. And yet we ought not be complacent, especially if we're uh, not making use of a key gift given to us by God, or if we are satisfied by doing the bare minimum. Instead, let us, as far as it is wise, exhaust ourselves for the sake and glory of our Lord. And therein we will find unparalleled fulfilment and joy. You know, I'm often staggered by the the work ethic, by, by the productivity of some of the people that I know through the Grace Baptist world. I'm not going to drop names, but many of them were there yesterday. And 
they're doing the Grace Baptist meetings, but they're also doing other meetings that they're practically associating. They're running conferences. They're, they're training. They're uh, running discipleship groups in their local church. They're preparing people for baptism and membership tirelessly. Working with each other, supporting each other. It truly is contagious when you see it happening. It truly is something to be enthused about and excited about as we see it uh, manifest here as well. Let's take Phoebe, for example, who served, uh, Paul tells us, at the church at Centrae, a port town close to Corinth. Okay, So those of you who know your geography will know Greece, perhaps, and in southern Greece, it is the town of Corinth, and just close by there, Centrae, the port city of Corinth, well, that's where Phoebe was from. That's where her house church was based. And yet she's found going to Rome, right? The center of the empire, quite some distance away, but connected, connected by boat, connected by a Roman road. Paul says that she has been a patron of many and of myself as well in the ESV translation. What does it say in NIV? I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centrae. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. The Greek word translated patron in the ESV or a great help to many people here in the NIV. It's one Greek word. And it means benefactress, right? Benefactress. So you may have heard the word benefactor, right? A benefactor is the person through whom good things come, through whom blessings are given, right? So Phoebe is a benefactress. She is someone who enables. She, she is someone who uh, provides generously and empowers and enables ministry to happen. She has means at her disposal to fund the work of the church to enable the continuing service of others, including the Apostle Paul, who commends her here. And so the challenge to us is, are we such an enabler? Are we a benefactor or a benefactress? Someone who's ready to give, someone who's ready to stand up and provide. Muscle power after the service to move furniture. Culinary skills, catering skills to provide for our anniversary gathering. Decorating skills. All manner of things if you've considered uh, needs and vacancies here at church. We're having works carried out. Our brother Bill has blazed the trail as far as maintenance is concerned for many years, looking after the property here, still does. But he can't do everything. He has a wife who needs him right now. Pastor Ben is kind of okay at some of those things. But I can't do it all either. Do you have time to help in that area? Are we benefactors and benefactresses? Are we enablers? 
Are we worthy of commendation like so many of your brothers and sisters? Not just now, but throughout history. These names are written here for a reason. When we get to heaven, we'll meet these people. Isn't that exciting? Might not be so exciting if we have to pronounce some of their names, right? But I'm sure the Lord will enable us to know them and to do that. You see, friends, Phoebe, like every true believer, served her Lord and therefore his church by giving sacrificially of herself and her wealth. And the kingdom of God grew as a result. Commendations. What will people say of us? Secondly, conversions. Phoebe is the first of many to be listed here by Paul. 27 individuals are named here in the opening 16 verses of this chapter. 27 people. Right? There's others who aren't named who are also listed there. All right? There are many of note. We could go through exhaustively. Uh, you know, If we were Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, maybe we would exhaustively investigate each of these individuals. And there's merit to that. But in verse 7, for example, we hear of Andronicus and Junius, who Paul says were his kinsmen. And what does he mean by that? His kin are the Jews, right? So Andronicus and Junius were Jews who had come to Christ. And not only that, they'd come to Christ before Paul did. right? So these were some of the earliest believers in the church of Christ. They were also well known to the other apostles. What does it say here in verse 7? It says, they are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Right Now if we read that plainly, we could assume that they were apostles. Well in one sense they were. Small a apostles. Right, They'd been sent by the church from the east to Rome. So by, by being sent once, sent on the mission of Christ, they're small a apostles, but they're not capital A apostles. But the apostles, the capital A apostles, did know them. And that is probably the better sense of the meaning here. They were well known by the capital A apostles. And they suffered for their faith in Christ without compromising their faith. It should be noted that neither Phoebe nor Junius, who could have been a female, uh, were apostles with a capital A. But they were serving wholeheartedly and faithfully as Christ's servants in the church. And as such, they deserve the recognition that Paul gives them alongside their brothers and sisters. Friends, we should be in prayer for our fellow saints especially those who have been called to suffer for the name of Christ. There are many parts of the world where Christians are not free to gather and associate as we're doing here this morning. This morning I gave the latest edition of Barnabas Fund to Brother Prabhaka. That whole fund, that whole magazine is devoted to the persecuted church around the world whom we pray for regularly. There are many parts of the world where they're not free to gather as we are. Uh, yet even here in the UK, there are cases of medical staff, teachers or chaplains in education and elsewhere, others who are standing 
for biblical Christian faith who have lost their jobs or been excluded from promotions because of their faith. The tide of intolerance towards true followers of Christ is growing. Yet as we see in the pages of scripture, this is the normal way of things in this dark world. Opposition to the gospel is a normal way of things. So are we counting the cost, friends? Are we ready for when the thumbscrews begin to turn? Are we ready for when perhaps the charity commission starts to make requirements and regulations which contravene scripture? Are we we ready for, for the time when the council may not be so benevolent? Are you ready for when your employers make godless demands of you? Well, what is required to turn this around, friends, to make this dark world bright again? Well, in, in verse 5, Paul mentions Eponetus, who he tells us was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Now, Asia was the, the western province uh, of uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. So the western part of that, that area was Asia. And this, uh, this man... Uh, Eponetus was the first convert there. Friends, what is required for this darkness to be overturned? For people to turn over the lordship of their lives to Christ, to, to accept God's prerogatives, God's way of doing things. This is what's necessary. Conversion, true conversion. To overturn the way of the world, to right the wrongs, to to lift up those who've fallen to a new status in Christ. We have to come to a place where we truly believe the things we're taught about Christ. We must believe in our hearts, deep down within us, that these things are true, that Christ is who we profess him to be, that he came in time and space to suffer and die for your sins and mine, and that God raised him from the dead, that he took up life himself again in a new, unbreakable body, which one day we ourselves will inherit as well, if we are his. We must believe that Christ is who we profess him to be, the living God, with all power and authority at his command. We must believe that. And we must live as if we believe that. When by grace we come to believe this and we enter into a real relationship with him, well then the sky is the limit, friends. The heavens have opened to us and the glory of the Lord God Almighty captivates and impassions us. It becomes our lifeblood. We receive the righteousness of Christ and all manner of blessed gifts. Why? In order to live for and serve his purposes on earth. That's what we see here in this list of brothers and sisters. Giving their all, living for Christ, whatever the cost. True conversion is what bears the fruit of redemption in these people's lives. And it is what is commendable, what is truly commendable about them. It is why they are described as workers. 
because they are hard working. It is why they are benefactors, because they are generous givers. It is why someone like Rufus has a mother who has been to a, a mother to Paul as well, he says. Because we are now one in the family of faith, living for the glory of Christ and the building up of his church. And so I must ask this morning, are you converted? Have you tasted Christ's goodness? Do you know him personally? If not, the time is now to come to Christ. The invitation has been made. Why not ask about a Christianity Explored course to come to know everything that there is to know about Christ? Or if you're already trusting in Christ but don't know where your next step should be, why don't you ask about a Discipleship Explored course? We would love to hear from you. I would love to hear from you. Point number three, point which some of you have been waiting for, kisses. I don't know about your family, but sometimes my family has a degree of awkwardness when we get together. Because perhaps we've not seen each other for a while, and my brother Barney uh, is visiting this afternoon with his son Zach. Now it's not long ago that I saw Barney, but I've not seen Zach since Christmas, almost a year ago. How will our reacquaintance go? Well, since he's a teenager, perhaps there'll be an added sense of awkwardness. Will there be a hug or a handshake? Will there be words of affection? There probably won't be a kiss between Uncle Ben and nephew Zach. I think I would probably be uncomfortable with that, to be honest. But Paul instructs the church at Rome to give a visible sign of affection, a sign that was and remains common across the eastern Mediterranean to this day, of an affectionate kiss on the cheek. Still in Sicily? Sicilia? So be careful if you go to Sicily. <laughs> uh, the holy kiss. What is it that makes this kiss holy? Well, friends, it's the unique affection that we have through the bonds of Christian fellowship in the Spirit of Christ. That's what makes it holy. The bonds that transcend ethnicity and origin, that go beyond our local distinctives, beyond our culture, beyond our social demographics, and they communicate to one another the unity of faith and the joy that we all share in Christ, that he has accomplished for us at the cross and that he continues to do for us today, week in, week out. Faithfully, unflinchingly, boldly, generously, because he loves us. So many of these stories of affection we heard yesterday at the annual mission day in London. But simultaneously on the streets of London, tens of thousands of people were gathering to protest the suffering of the people of Gaza. Others were protesting uh, the horrors of the Hamas attacks 
of the 7th of October and defending Israel's uh, right to pursue justice. As we prayed already, only the blood of Christ can unite sworn enemies. Only conversion to a new way of life will open the doors that have been bolted shut by centuries of offence and vendettas. And they know a lot of vendettas in Sicily, don't they? What we need is a holy kiss. What we need is true affection through the bonds of faith, brothers and sisters. And we have that to offer people. So what holds us back? There were plenty of enemies at the time of Paul when he was writing. Sometimes we think, don't we? Oh, the first century, it was just a time of unparalleled blessedness. That somehow there was some kind of miracles taking place there that didn't happen any other time. Maybe you've thought that. Consciously or subconsciously. Well, understand this, friends. The Roman Empire was a cruel and brutal empire that brought peace by the threat of force. The Pax Romana. It united disparate and formerly warring peoples by enforcing a judicial system above and beyond them at the command of the Caesars. The trouble was, their rule was arbitrary and unjust, favouring a select few who held the reins of power. Friends, the church is not to be like this. The radical difference that Christ brings is that he is worthy to rule. Christ alone is worthy to sit on the throne. The throne of history. The throne of the universe. The throne of this country. The throne of your life. Because he made you. He made everything that is. And his rule, Christ's rule, is perfectly just. And it exalts the virtues that are his. He is the burning centre of the universe. There is no lasting nor true fulfilment found apart from in Christ. Do I need to say that again? If we're looking anywhere else, we will be frustrated ultimately. Because it's all about Christ. In him, delight beyond measure and the fullness of joy is found. As it says in Psalm 35 and verse 27, Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say forevermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. What greater benefactor could you have than the Lord Jesus Christ himself? The servant king who calls us to be his servant people and to know great blessedness in the diversity he has created and shaped by his own hand. Friends, this is how these brothers and sisters of ours can serve so freely and generously despite the opposition and oppression of the world. Because they have entered a new and incomparable existence in the presence of their Saviour. So let us cleave to him. Let us throw our full lot in with Christ. Because he alone is worthy to receive all honour, 
glory and praise from each one of us, now and forevermore. It says in Psalm 2, verse 12, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and we perish, because so blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is why the church can share the holy kiss commanded by the apostles of Christ. And we should have no greater affection than we have for our Lord and all his children from our family of faith who labour beside us. May we resolve to continue the race set before us, demonstrating the purpose in the diversity that he has made. Let's bow our heads in prayer.